My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is Jake Bohall, co-founder of Hive Digital. Jake is a veteran digital marketer, serial entrepreneur, and popular conference presenter. In 2020, Jake's agency won two awards at the U.S. Search Awards. They won the award for Best Small SEO Agency and Best SEO Campaign. I heard Jake speak at PubCon last spring, and I'll start our conversation talking about his presentation, which was about sustainable SEO. I will also ask him about its opposite to get a better sense of what unsustainable SEO looks like. Jake lives near Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, a talent-rich area of the country for digital marketers. Last June, Russ Jones passed away unexpectedly, and the loss was especially devastating for digital marketers in the Raleigh-Durham area. I'll talk to Jake about his friend and collaborator, Russ Jones, during this episode. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Jake Bogle. We'll talk about how to do link building in a sustainable way. We'll chat about a shift he's noticed in content marketing from being product focused to more customer focused. And I'll ask him about a project he did to clean up about 5 million UGC tags from one site. Jake, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, I have a lot of ground to cover. I just saw your speech from PubCon, so I have a lot of questions about that. There are some other topics that I want to touch on with you. So let's dive right in. One of the things uh, you talked about at PubCon was sustainable SEO. I think this is a great topic. Uh, it was strange what it did to my brain. It immediately made me think of a bunch of unsustainable SEO tactics. Uh, it is exactly where my head went. You know, I think it seems worth discussing. It's opposite. So the opposite of sustainable SEO, what does unsustainable SEO look like before we can talk about what sustainable SEO really is? Um, you know, I, when I when I think of unsustainable SEO, I think about the types of strategies that we use as like greedy marketers. So like when we're trying to get the quick wins, when we don't care about the long term, um, which is basically everything that we did ten years ago. Um, you know, like and, and there's a place for that. And I think that's important too. Like you know, we have clients that have brands and reputations to protect, um, and we have clients with brands and reputations to protect that are happy to experiment. Um, with new brands that they want to create. And so, you know, you can imagine if you're um, trying to target a specific uh, promotional time of year, you know, you may be willing or interested to take more aggressive uh, strategies okay. and apply them. Um, and for those, you may be less sustainable. You may take aggressive link building. Uh, you may automate uh, you know, your content creation. <clears throat> and other things that the you know, search quality rater guidelines might frown upon, um, but for the sake of search. That makes sense. The other thing I like about the topic, and you kind of just touched on this in your answer, but like it points to the future. Sustainability is an argument. You know, this is something I, it cuts through an argument I don't hear as much anymore. Uh, I did kind of early in my SEO that you could kind of start and stop SEO on a whim, um, that it isn't it's sort of a long-term game. Uh, it's not about consistency or focus for an extended period of time. When you consider an SEO engagement, let's say with a new client with sustainability in mind, what is that sort of time horizon you're thinking about? What are, what are you considering in terms of time and, and how, how far out into the future you're, you're planning things? You know, I, I think I mean, that question always starts with the customer. So, you know, like, when do you want to rank? Are you planning on selling your business? Like, you know, some of those types of things, um, you know, a new engagement for us, like, you know, there's like those fundamentals, you know, when you're looking at the pyramid, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, if you will, for SEO, um, you, know, you have the fundamentals for technical, for discovery. Um, and those things always have to be implemented. And then you can turn, you can implement everything best practice from a technical standpoint, and you can walk away. 
and like the site is quote unquote SEO friendly. Um, then you have the proactive effort that requires a sustained long-term engagement for, you know, curating and developing content strategies, mm -hmm. um, monitoring, you know, competitors and keyword, like new keyword opportunities and pursuing those, uh, as well as just staying on top of the changing landscape of Google's search results page in and of itself. Awesome. You know, I, I, I want to kind of get into how to actually do the sustainable SEO. Uh, the first thing you talk about is content marketing. Um, you mentioned that, you know, yesterday or in the past, content was really product focused. And today and into the future, content will be more customer focused. You know, help me understand that shift in messaging and, and how it plays out in, in the real world where you at your agency. Yeah, that, that's that's right. Actually, I'm working on a project with a client right now where, you know, for the last, I don't know, 30 years, this customer has been a Salesforce driven business. Like mm. they proactively cold call people, they, you know, bait you with a trial and then they right. hard sell you with discounts and promotions. And that creates a, an environment for that customer or for, for this client of ours, um, where they're constantly chasing the next promotion mm. in order to meet their quarterly earnings quotas. And, you know, like in SEO, like you can think of it as the same way that we've always viewed link development, where it's like, you know, the steroid you have to continue taking if you want to continue uh, to, to be a winner. So our, our focus is trying to shift that for the customer. So instead of um, sort of projecting billboard style, like this is who I am, this is what I offer, instead you're taking an approach that's more about engaging your customers where they are, identifying their problems, providing them with some value without without them having to make a purchase, and then using that so that you can nurture them long-term and having them feel that they can trust and rely on your brand to support them, even when they haven't paid you. Yeah, really good stuff. Well, I, along the same lines, you have a slide that says, it says messaging targets intent, layout converts the user. Messaging mm -hmm. targets intent, layout converts the user. Let's start with part two of that, or part one of that, uh, messaging targets intent. Again, again, we're taking a customer-focused approach to content. How should your message target intent? How does that, how does that play out in, in the real world? Yeah, so you know, let's, let's just say that you have a customer who's doing a, a search. They wanna purchase a particular product. Um, and let's say it's a car, and you know, I'm trying to find you know, the best vehicle for a large family. So the page could go into a very long, um, you know, direct sell on why you should buy a minivan, mm -hmm. which, you know, maybe we could say like, that's the best approach or a large SUV. So like, you could just go in and say like, here's our SUVs, here's our minivans, here's the price, check out now. Or in an ideal world, you, you have a page that specifically addresses the needs of that particular visitor and the, their intent. Like their intent is to discover which one is better for me. And so we know that they have problems like how to deal with car seats, how to deal with, you know, kids and like being rugged for teenagers, throwing stuff in and out, how to fit your kids and all of their friends. Like you can't just have a car that seats your, your family only, um, you know, how to take long, how to do long road trips. So the best vehicle for those things. 
So you have, you know, all of these pain points right. that your customer is going to have and experience. Mm -hmm. And if you can take the messaging of the page and it, and instead of just saying, here's what I've got, you, you understand them and you engage with them emotionally, then your, your layout closes the deal, right? And your yeah, messaging yeah. says, I hear you, I understand, here's how I can help. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the layout. This is, this is where, you know, one of the things I wanna to talk to you about is the, the need for testing. The, this is something we've, we've talked offline about where you, we, you mentioned that you know, testing is an underutilized part of this. You know, on-page layout considerations is the, is the other part of this, like that, that a layout converts the user and it seems to me mm -hmm. that this points to testing and the need for testing and your argument that this is an underutilized tactic in SEO. Where, where, how do you uh, evaluate on-page layout considerations and what is the role of testing in that? You know, I've been very fortunate. Um, we, use, uh, we use an agency called SiteTuners uh, to help guide us with, with a number of our clients. Cool. Um, and we specifically reached out to them because as an SEO, we would often end up in these debates with our clients about, you know, like we have this as the title, we have this as the meta description. When a user lands on the page, they need to immediately see, see messaging that reinforces what they saw from the search or they're going to leave, right? So like just immediate layout, you need to have a heading that captures your audience. You need to have, um, you know, these elements that build trust uh, with social proofing. Um, and then you need to have your, your call to action clearly laid out. So something that says, we're amazing and here's why. Um, here's how we can help you messaging that, that um, sort of corresponds with their, the traffic source and what they saw to get there. And then here are the clear steps that you want to take next. So like as an SEO, you know, we've tried to push you know, these elements of conversion optimization because one, we want organic traffic to convert. Two, we want that traffic to engage because we feel that the signal of a user returning to search and clicking and sticking on our competitor's site reflects poorly on us. Um, and so we've leveraged the fact that in this case, site tuners, third party agency, my opinions out of it, the data speaks for itself sort of thing um, to leverage their user first conversion optimization model as a way to encourage our clients to build pages that are most effective for their customers right. and most helpful for the site visitors. And ultimately in SEO, um, you know, if, if people enjoy and engage with the page they're landing on, it's a win. If I get half the traffic, but it converts twice as much, then the pressure's off of me as an SEO because their revenue still doubled. And so like, maybe we didn't get that number one ranking for that you know, very broad keyword that you think that you deserve to rank for, but we did help you better position your site and your page so that the rankings we are earning are generating revenue for your bottom line. Yeah, at the end of the day, did you sell more widgets or didn't you? I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, if there's one topic in SEO that I think is like super under discussed and maybe even undervalued, it's internal linking. I, I know it can be very powerful. We've tested this internally at Search Lab. You talk about it in your speech, you have a, a framework of sorts. Framework is my term, not it's not in your presentation, but you have a framework of sorts about how to link content together with content clusters. You know, how do you how do content clusters help to lead to better internal linking? 
So it's interesting. There's there's a number of ways to approach you know content clusters. So we have we are experimenting with a lot of different methods. Everything from you know leveraging tagging uh, to automate internal links and like suggested articles, you know that type of thing right. uh, that we've been doing forever. Like you know people who think this is great also like this. Um, but I think most importantly, as we've been focusing as an agency on conversion rate optimization as as part of the SEO process um, and, and quite frankly, leveraging the buyer's journey to drive our content strategies, we've found that the internal linking systems sort of write themselves. So c- kind of going back to the analogy for the, you know, which vehicle is right for me, like each of those topics, like best vehicle for long distances for families, best vehicle for, you know, car seats, you know, all of those topics are answering and, and steps and queries on the journey for a user trying to make the decision on the best vehicle for their family. And so when you have a page that when you are at the point of creating the content, you've, you've determined the intent uh, that you're trying to meet, the audience that you're trying to meet, those related stories and related articles sort of write themselves. And so you, in our case, we started you know, what we call the, you know, the top of the funnel where we have users who are, you know, problem unaware, solution unaware, mm. brand unaware. Right. And we try to create content that first introduces them to the fact that they have a problem. Right. right? Um, and, and then the internal linking is leading them on this journey. You know, it, it's funny. There's, um, uh, there's an ad platform like Taboola. Um, they put these like very ridiculous, awful ads on content pages. But once you click on one, like you're, you're, you're hooked. Like it's a rabbit hole you can't get out of because you click on the first one and they've done a fantastic job of, of determining if that interested you, here's the other thing. YouTube's done the same thing. If you watch this video, then here, like we know that this is going to captivate you. So if we start with, which vehicle is best for families. And then we immediately turn into, you know, an article, uh, you know, that compares, um, you know, which vehicle tends to save your children in a car accident. And, you know, they, so now we've gone and now we get an opportunity to introduce safety ratings and which one is the safest vehicle. And then we can talk about, you know, the best vehicle for teenagers to drive. Um, and so like you can, you can string the user through this journey of, of exploring your content and your expertise and the internal linking becomes a natural part of the right. journey you're trying to create. Right. I like it. Well, fascinating. Well, I want to talk about a different kind of link building too, which is just sort of outreach, you know, you're getting, getting third parties to link to you. This seems like you, you touched on it a little bit, but this seems like the, the biggest unsustainable tactic in SEO that I could think of. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, this, this may be a strange question, but I'm hoping you can catch me up on current events here. This was a major problem in SEO early in my career. Penguin would just like wipe people out. Um, mm-hmm. I had experience with this. Uh, today, I feel like link penalties certainly still happen, but not with the same you know, like severity or frequency as they did before. Uh, you know, can give our audience an update on link penalties in it's almost 2022 when this will air. Uh, you know, what's the update on link penalties, illicit link schemes? the consequences of sites found to be in violation of Google's guidelines on link schemes. Where are we today? Sure. Um, so I'm very proud to say that 
probably for the first time in my career, this is not something that I'm actively engaged in, right. in, yeah. in terms of yeah. dealing with link penalties and things like that. I, I believe a part of it, you know, Trip on my, he's one of the guys on my team that literally cut his teeth doing link removals with the removal platform we built and everything uh, back in 2012. Um, I, I wrote an article um, maybe like a month or two ago that was talking about this sort of shift that we've seen with Google and placing ownership of link development strategies or link schemes on the linking party, um, which is like way past due. Um, so like as a webmaster, you know, I can purchase as many links as I want. And the people that I'm buying the links from are the ones that are technically, you know, violating FTC guidelines by, you know, providing those link back with, you know, without, you know, citation and that type of thing. Um, so the accountability, you know, is from what we, what we see tends to be placed on, you know, those outbound link penalties. I haven't actually seen one. Um, I had like Kristen Schaschinger, um, recently was talking about one of her clients that she was trying to get out, but not, mm. not that she's responsible for it. Um, but a client that she has that she was trying to get out of an unnatural outbound links penalty. Um, and it was probably the first time that I've seen that somebody has had that penalty in the last two or three years. Um, so I, I think, you know, your, your bigger question is how do we approach link development in 2021? Uh, because it's obviously a game changer, right? Like you have to have that authority. If you don't have it, you're not going to win. Um, for us, we're, we're fortunate in the brands that we represent mostly, um, tend to have enough PR behind them okay. that they're successful, um, in gaining links naturally. We, we did start experimenting with some things like, for example, um, we started doing a, a promotion program with YouTube where we're literally doing outreach to influencers. You know, when you see a YouTube channel, the contact information is there. Um, for whomever runs that channel, you can reach out right. to them, ask them to sponsor uh, a YouTube video. And then, I mean, they will say in the video, like, hey, sponsored by, you know, insert brand here. Oh, yeah. um, and then you get a link in, um, you know, in the description of the video. They tend to talk about you in other places, share you in social. Um, so I, I think, generally speaking, we're seeing more success in the interaction with the brand across social channels um, and then we're getting more out of that than what we've traditionally seen and getting writers to just talk about you and link back to your site so it, it remains to be proven um, as to whether or not that is sustainable long term in terms of growth it is sustainable long term in terms of avoiding penalties um, and at this point, the clients are successful, so there's no reason on our end to try any aggressive link development strategies. All right, awesome. This is my, my last question from your PubCon talk. Uh, you talked about something I had never heard of called accessibility link building. Mm -hmm. uh, this has to do with competitor analysis and W3C compatibility. How does this accessibility link building work? Yeah, so I, I will say that when we do link development, we, we always try to identify an opportunity to leverage existing data. So where have our competitors obtained links that we can poach them? Um, that, that, is, that is always the starting point. So, well, 
the starting point is recovering links uh, yeah. to like broken pages or right. broken link building, you know, some of those sort of long-term sustainable uh, link development strategies. Um, then afterwards it is, you know, how do we get somebody who's linking to a competitor to link to us? And so either we establish a better relationship or offer more value to the linking party, um, or we find a way to show that we are significantly superior to the competitor. So with sustainability um, or accessibility link building, um, one of the things that we discovered was that with the uh, accessibility movement, um, I mean, like lawsuits are happening um, against like stores and other websites mm -hmm. because their sites are not accessible. Right. Um, we saw that as an opportunity to one, encourage our clients to have more accessible websites. So go ahead and fix things with like fonts and you know tab indexes and things like that. Sure. Um, and then we can leverage that to outreach to those that are linking to competitors whose pages and sites are not accessible. There is, you know, there there is some gray area in the strategy that I outlined. Um, you know, you can take a direct approach and say like, "Hey, they're not accessible. We are," um, in which you're very forthcoming and that you are the one soliciting the link. Um, I alluded into my presentation, in not so many words, that you could also outreach as a third party um, and. Um, sort of allude to the fact that you may have had difficulty in accessing uh, some element of that competitor's website and that you found a better one. So, um, you know, I'm, I found that, you know, when I'm trying to use a screen reader, I was unable to um, navigate that site that you were linking to, but I found this other site uh, that I could navigate more easily. Maybe you should check them out. Um, it's, it's a successful, uh, it's a very successful strategy um, and certainly you can follow up with other emails from other people um, so instead of harassing this person you know five times from the same email address uh, you can certainly reach out to them as two or three other personas who are sort of echoing the same sentiment of having difficulty with the accessibility on the site uh, that's being linked and suggest two or three alternatives obviously your clients just happens to be included in all of those and it tends to sort of res resolve itself. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I want to shift gears. We got a little bit of time left there. I, I heard about something that you guys did. There's a project where you guys cleaned up 5 million UGC tags mm. from a site that was, that was tag driven. What, give me the story here. Like what, what, I don't have a question so much as I, I just want to hear the whole yeah. story about this. Honestly, one of my favorite projects of my entire career. Um, we had a client that there are an art uh, print on demand site and basically anytime an artist uploaded a piece of artwork, they would just tag it however they like. So they might tag it with, you know, ship, ships, ship, sailing ships, sailboats, boats sailing, boats sailing on sunset, like all of the, the tags that you can imagine. And so this particular site was driven by tags. So um, you can imagine instead of having search results pages, where the user just searches, like we were seeding the search results for Google to crawl based off of the entire tag ecosphere that this customer had. And there's 5 million of them. Um, and you can imagine like how much duplication occurred oh. between pages. Um, and so when we came into, we were just like, hey man, like one, this is out of control already and there's no restrictions 
And I mean, there was also issues where like, you know, some people would tag their painting with Viagra and things like that as well. Oh, yeah. um, so, I mean, there was, it was a mess. And so we had to come up with a way to eliminate as many of the garbage tags as possible. Um, and so like a few, like a first couple of rounds were fairly easy. Like we got rid of anything like using like a mod spell. Um, so like basically we spell checked the tags. If we found a single correct spelling for a group of tags and we would just rename them, redirect them, you know, problem solved. And that, that probably got us down to like 4 million tags. Mm-hmm. Um, then we tried a ton of different methods. Um, everything from using, you know, Gerald Winkler scoring to Levenstein distance. Um, I, I tapped uh, JR Oaks over at Locomotive to help me with um, doing some vector mapping on topics to try to identify, you know, what common term uh, would sit between a, in a cluster and then use the core, the center of that cluster as the main topic so we could delete all the others. Um, all, all of those methods like had their their wins and they and they failed a, a bunch of the time as well. And so what we ended up finding out was that with Wikipedia, uh, actually, let me back up. One of the biggest challenges with every other method we used was pop culture items. So you would get something like a lolcat and that, you know, nobody are perfect. Um, you know, so like none of the dictionaries, none of the topic model, none of that accounted for the for memes and which is heavy in artwork and pop culture um wikipedia however does keep up with all of those things and so what we found was that we could do a search on wikipedia for each of our tags and wikipedia would either send us to the article with a um uniform url for that so like let's say like if you put in usa or united states or united states of america or USA America, whatever this tag was, it would always come back with the United States of America. So we could standardize the tag that we used in the back end for any of these particular keywords. And if Wikipedia didn't have an entry for it, they had a disambiguation page um, in which they would then list out and order all of the different, um, like as an example, if you put in something like Bush, it would ask you, are you talking about the plant? Are you talking about, um, you know, the, the president? Are you talking about, you know, uh, manscaping? You know, like what, you know, all of those options were there so that we could then identify for each of our tags, we can either directly map them to a replacement or we can identify that this is something that probably covers a number of different areas and find ways to disambiguate for our own users. And we're not talking about informational articles. We're talking about artwork. Um, so I made a donation to Wikipedia. That was the first year that I ever made a donation to Wikipedia. Uh, and it was 100% out of guilt because I'm certain I'm certain that I cost them a lot of money. I, I, I definitely uh, scraped their site at least 5 million times. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great story. That's really, that's doing the job. That's really getting in the weeds. Uh, all right. This is my last, uh, my last question. Every time we have a guest on, we ask them, is there anything they want to promote, anything they want to talk about? You were kind enough to answer, uh, you know, this is real tragedy in SEO with the last calendar year was the, the death of Russ Jones. And, um, that's just been a humongous loss for, for everyone in, in search who, who really valued him as a human being and as, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant SEO. 
Um, he had searchlabs.io, which you introduced me to. It's also the name of my company, but we, he had this, this thing. You, you, you were thinking about doing something similar to report experiments, outcomes. Reflect on Russ, if you would, and tell us about this, this concept uh, behind searchlabs.io. Yeah, so you know, I, I met Russ in 2004. Um, he, I was actually a client at the time. Uh, he, he was helping me build a, a wine marketing consulting company that I, I was working on. Um, and uh, honestly, like I thought that he was one of the most brilliant people that I had met, um, mm-hmm. both in his ability to be incredibly funny and, and, and bring humor and light energy uh, to any, uh, any topic that you were discussing. Um, but just like in, a, in, in an instant or in a moment of any conversation, um, he had something insightful and impactful that mm. he could share. Um, when, when I first joined at the time it was Verante, one of, one of my biggest joys was that on a, on a weekly basis, at least, we were building some fun, crazy experiment just to see what happens. So, uh, you know, we had, you know, a, I don't know how many people know this, um, but we ran an experiment to determine if the order of links on a page matter. And, you know, our way of approaching there, Russ's way of approaching this, um, was to generate a search result where the title tags, as you read down the page, said you should switch to Verante. Um, and so we literally ordered, you know, five pages in order to spell out a sentence on a search results page. Um, and, you know, one, it proved the point into, in true Russ fashion, um, it kind of stuck a dagger in anybody who, who wanted to argue with them about it. Um, so, so for me, when Russ passed, it represented, you know, a huge loss, you know, as, as you know, in, in my friendship and my, you know, personal ability to have someone that you know, I could have as a confidant. I mean, like he, he was a mentor to me, not only uh, professionally, but in, in my personal life as well. He was a great example, um, of somebody who really took work-life balance and focused his time for his family. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that. Um, so, you know, he, he really helped me level set where, you know, my goals should be. Um, when he passed away, you know, we had one of the domains they had was search labs, which we had used in the past as, you know, sort of a, a playground. Um, so anytime we were running like this Wikipedia thing, you know, whatever, like anytime Russ and I collaborated on a project, we were working under the search labs domain name, doing some fun something. Um, and so when he passed away, I asked Morgan, uh, his wife, if, you know, if it was something I could take on. Um, and with search labs, you know, there's a vision for it you know, to be determined. Um, but the goal, I think at this point is to both, you know, honor the legacy of, of you know, experimentation and innovation in search. Uh, but I also want to create some type of tool where we can collectively work as SEOs. Like there's, um, for example, there, there's you know, sites out there where you can just use you know, like SEO APIs and things like that. I want search labs to be a place where you can document the experiments that you've made and the process and quite frankly, the scripts and API calls that you used to generate the data for that experiment and make it easy for other people to try to reproduce that experiment. Um, with that type of openness in what we're doing in search, I, I think that it will give us an opportunity to validate what everyone's doing because we all have opinions. Um, and 90% of the time, 
you know, we say like, oh, we ran this experiment and we published some results. Anytime anyone ever did that, Russ would immediately pick on them about, you know, like, you know, you, you actually should have taken the log of this or, um, you know, you're biased because of this or these two data sets aren't, aren't you know, truly comparable. Um, and, and because of that, I think that it's important that we continue to do that, but do it in a way for the industry that allows us to, to actually work together and to also create a place where people can post like requests for experiments. Um, and so a lot of small agencies, they, they, they need to prove it. They have an idea and they want to prove it, but they don't have a dev. They don't have access to all the APIs. They don't have, you know, somebody with a PhD in statistics, uh, but they're, they've got a great idea. Um, and that, you know, that was me. Like I, that was the, the joy for me with Russ is I didn't have all of those things. And so every time I would ask a question like, you know, like, hey, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, the the internal links from footers don't actually matter? Um, you know, like I want to I want to create an experiment to do that because I heard that that's the case, but I don't have proof. Right. If a client asks me, like, that's a cool opinion. Can you prove it? I don't have anything. So, you know, he would work with me and we'd build it. You know, we'd run a test or experiment and figure it out. And, and then we would have proof. And so I just I just want some sort of like Snopes for all of the opinions that SEO has, SEOs have, so that when you say this is how something works, you can point to an experiment that's been peer reviewed, reproducible, the scientific process to say like, I'm, I'm accurate as of that day. I love it. Well, it sounds like a great, great mission. I wish you guys, you know, I wish you all the best. If there's anything we can do to help you out, I'd, be happy to um you know, jake I've, I've enjoyed the conversation if people want to learn more about you what's your favorite social media how should people get in touch with you yeah um i'm at jake bohall on twitter um that's pretty much the only social media that i engage with like facebook and linkedin are just nightmares for me um obviously you're more than welcome to go to hivedigital.com uh, or reach out to me on email it's jbohall at hivedigital.com uh, and I'd, I'd be happy to talk to or, or, you know, help anybody that has an interest. Awesome. Well, I'm going to give you a, a virtual cheers from here in Chicago. Hope to see you on the road sometime soon. And for everybody watching, we'll be back next week for another episode of Susan Search. Great. Thank you, Mark. Take care.